Let's go to uh, Luke chapter number 2. And let's go to Bethlehem and see. This is our second uh, look at the Christmas story. So I invite you to join me here in Luke chapter 2. That's where we're going to start, but that's not where we're going to end. We've got a lot of things to cover this morning. Luke chapter 2. Verse number 10. The angel said to them, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born to you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign unto you. You will find a babe wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem and see. See this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Heavenly Father, your word is before us. We are very blessed to have it. To know the truth. To know what you have done. In giving of your Son, Lord, we realize that uh, it's a great necessity in our lives. It changes us. When we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, it changes us for eternity. What an incredible gift. What an indescribable gift. This morning we will spend some time reflecting again on what it means to seek you. I pray that our hearts are challenged today, and at the end of our service, as we leave this place, we will have been drawn closer to you, and our desire made greater to know you. Do your great work in our hearts, for we know that you are at work, and we praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to look at a second group of travelers. Last week, we talked about the shepherds. And this little phrase I just read to you, when they decided, let us go to Bethlehem then and see what God has done. We're going to uh, look at another group that was doing the very same thing. And that is found in Matthew chapter number uh, 2. I wanted to say 1, but it's actually Matthew chapter number 2. The very first 12 verses of this chapter is a very familiar story to us. We usually identify it as the three kings. I'd like to read it to you this morning. Matthew chapter 2, 1 through 12. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east came, or arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that has been born king of the Jews? We saw a star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, 
This is what was, has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me, so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went their way, and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them, and strode over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother. They fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. You're very familiar with that, aren't you? Seen it before in text, you've heard it. Uh, you've seen it uh, portrayed in movies and such like that. We're, we're familiar with the story very much. Now, I find it always interesting, one of those things that comes up when uh, this holiday comes around is to whether or not the wise men should be placed in the manger scene or should they be on a separate table heading that way. It's always one of those big debates. We're, we're missing some of our manger scene people this year. I don't know where the shepherds disappeared. Uh, but uh, we've got some wise men, I think. I don't, I don't remember. The set looked silly, so we, we also put up some uh, uh, of our nutcrackers with it, too. <laughs> then that was changed as well. But anyway, where do you put the wise men in the story? Where do you put the wise men in the story? Obviously, we put it in the Christmas story. But here's the argument is kind of interesting. Some say it was later, a couple of years almost, and some say it was sooner. And if you ask me, I, I'm a sooner kind of guy. I live in Oklahoma, after all. Uh, You've got to be a sooner, don't you? But uh, I know that's terrible. Um, but here's some of the questions they have concerning that. They, they say, well, you know, a couple of things come up in the text, and one of them, they saw the child. They see that word child there, and they say, well, it doesn't say baby. It says child, and so they start to investigate the word a little bit. And, uh, the, the Greek word is a very interesting word in this, that it signifies a young or little child. It is used in Scripture for a newborn. It is also used of a child up to two years of age. Now, some people say, well, of course, then it's up to two years of age. But that includes all the way down to the newborn. So you can't just eliminate the young ones. Uh, from that. So the term doesn't help a whole lot. But then they say in verse 11, but they, they were in a house. And Jesus, after all, was born in a manger. Well, it's true. Jesus was born in a stable. And he was laying in a manger. But do you think Joseph was content to leave Mary and the baby in that manger for days on end? Just a simple thought. But say... Say that uh, this baby was born over in Steve's shed and behind his house. You think you'd just leave him out there in the shed? Would you do that, Steve? No, I didn't think you would. No, he'd probably say, hey, come on in, it's warmer in the house. 
there's a possibility. I would think that Joseph would be conscientious of that. And he'd look for a house as soon as he could, that he could put Mary in. So it could be as soon as the next day, if that was the case. And I would think that if it was my stable, I would also invite the child in. Uh, I don't know if that's anything of great value or not, but the potential is there. That it could have been a very short duration after the birth of the child that the wise men visited. It could have been a few days. It could have been a few weeks. It's hard to say. I, I just tend to lean that way. But timing is not the key to the passage. When you're reading through this passage, sometimes you wonder, where do they really fit in on time? I'd like to focus in again on what they were doing. The fact that they were drawn to Bethlehem. They were drawn to see what God had done. Let's use the eyes again this morning as we think this through. Verse number 2. Where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east. We saw his star. That's the exact same word we studied last week that the shepherds used. Let us go and see what God has done. This isn't the casual look. Just a glance here. Oh, I recognize that and move on. This is the look that generally has the idea of engaging the mind. It's to perceive something. It's to understand something. They weren't merely just looking up and seeing a star and thought, well, you know, great, we found a star. But they wanted to understand what that was about. They wanted to think about what they had seen. They wanted to understand it. So they came, not merely looking at a star, but they had studied the whole idea of what that star was all about. And that's the first word we just saw. Now if you move down to verse number 10, again it says, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. There's that same word again. Not just a mere recognition that the star was still up there, but again it brought their minds to contemplate. To think again. I I think that's just a a wonderful thing that they came out and they looked up and there it was. It hadn't disappeared. It was still there for them to think about. Verse number 11. In coming into the house, they saw the child. You want to guess which one that one is? If you want to guess it's the same as the others, you're absolutely right. They didn't just come in and say, oh, a baby. They came in and they saw the baby. Again, engaging their mind, perceiving, seeking to understand. I think it's interesting, as soon as they saw the baby, the star didn't matter anymore. They came looking for what God had done. They saw the baby. And they thought, they concentrated, not a careless thing. Not a casual thing. Engage their mind to think, to understand, to discern who is this child. Who is this child? Last week I mentioned the fact that God does seek for us to be seekers of Him. And when we seek Him, we're to seek Him, like Scripture says, with our whole heart, right? We are to seek Him with our whole soul. 
We are to seek Him with our intellect. We are to seek Him with our efforts. That's not a, a casual thing. That's not an occasional thing. That is quite a calling that we've been given. To seek the Lord. What an opportunity we've been given. To seek the Lord. I've asked you last week concerning those words. Related to seeking the Lord. To what degree we seek Him. I've hoped you've had a few days to think about that. To what degree do you seek the Lord? How have you been seeking the Lord? Well, these that we're going to look at here today, once again, bring us to such questions. Because when we study these, the column, the wise men, column, the magi, column, the three kings, if there were three or four or five, we don't know. But when we think about them, we realize that they, they sought in an intellectual way. They did engage their minds. Just the word itself would apply that. But here's a couple of things you might want to know about these individuals that we call the wise men. Uh, we call them the magi many times. Magos is the Greek word for it. It was the term for a magician. And all of a sudden you stop right there and you say, hmm, like rabbits out of the hat kind of magician? Uh, no, they were known to be astrologers those who studied stars. Uh, magicians were also generally in the court of the kings to give them advice. They called them wise men for a reason. They were to counsel kings and decisions, to help them make plans, such like that. And of course, some would probably use stars and such like that in order to trace the idea of what should be done. Not uncommon in pagan cultures, of course. But this was a Persian concept. Now, it's kind of hard to identify them. Tradition does. It calls them uh, three kings. It, some suggest that each of these kings represent uh, one of the descendants of Noah. Because he had three sons and they split three different ways. And so they identify one king representing each of those. And whether or not that's true, I, don't, I can't tell you. They even give them names. Some people know their names as Balthasar and Melchior and uh, Gasper, or Casper, whichever one you read. Um, and you say, well, are those in Scripture? No. They're in Wikipedia. And if you want their picture, you'd find them in there too. You look it up. But what do we know about them? Well, probably Gentile. We would suggest that from the text. They are looking for the king of the Jews. King of the Jews. They had been given this information. And I don't know how exactly it transpired. They saw a star and they understood it to represent the fact that the king of the Jews was born. I would suggest that the Lord gave them that information. Because he did speak to them in this text, didn't he? He told them at one point, don't go back to Herod. And they obeyed that information too. So I think that they were following the Lord's direction. Whoever they were, they were following his direction. And he was using a star to guide them along the way. Some people say, well, didn't they have maybe copies of the Old Testament that they had read? 
It's possible. The Jews at one time did live in Persia, by the way. And that was after the Babylonian captivity. They were there for a while. And scripture was recorded. And no doubt they might have had a copy. It's possible. Some people say, well, maybe they were reading Balaam's prophecy. You say, Balaam? Wasn't he the guy with the donkey? Yes. He was the guy with the donkey that talked to him. Remember the story in Sunday school a long time ago? That was Balaam. Balaam was called to curse Israel. And he stood out looking over Moses and the old tribes of Israel out there on the side of the, the wilderness before they entered the promised land. And he went to curse them and God would not let him. And instead, three times over, he blessed them. And if you read the blessings there in the book of Numbers, it's in chapter uh, put my eyes on, 24. If you go and study the story, you'll find that uh, in the midst of those blessings, he says, and one's coming out of Jacob, a star with a scepter. That's all the information you're going to get. It's going to take a wise man to put that together to say, we need a star to represent a baby being born in Bethlehem. Maybe that's what the Lord did and told him what, that's, what that meant. Quite possibly it was. But I want to say this. This is not the intellectual side I'm talking about. Because if you wanted to say, well, they were intellectual people and they were, you know, they had that appearance of being very intelligent and such. When you get down further in the text, I'm going to blow that whole thing apart for you. Because it says in verse number 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. The picture is simple. They were jumping up and down, so overwhelmed with joy, they were like first graders being told they're getting ice cream for lunch. Our flannel graph doesn't reflect that, does it? They were overjoyed. You could see emotion just oozing on that verse when you read of that. Well, intellect does seem prominent, at least in this. Their interest was piqued by a star, but their understanding of it led them to a king. They were searching for a king, not for a star. The star was the avenue. The king was who they contemplated. That's who they saw out. Very interesting. They must have been exceedingly significant, at least to this point. Do you think Herod would have condescended to listen to shepherds come into his courtroom to tell him there was a baby born? No. But here, not only did Herod listen to these, he responded with fear, as the text said, because he believed their message. And on top of that, he brought in his intellectual cabinet to talk to them about it. He brought in the chief priests. And he brought in the scribes in order to converse with them to ascertain when did that star appear and what does it mean to us today. So he responded appropriately to who these individuals were. So we can see the element of, of great intellect in their search. We can see that. But I also like the fact that their emotions were engaged too. 
Their emotions were engaged as well as their intellect. They were responders. As God gave them information, they followed it. When the star appeared, they rejoiced again. They were exceedingly joyful at what they were experiencing here. And they weren't afraid to show it. Not afraid to show it. We've all seen those who wear spiritual on their face. Steve was trying to get us to smile in our songs this morning. We must all look real spiritual. Right? We come with that spiritual impression that, you know, I don't know what you can call it, but we can't crack a smile to save our lives. That spiritual impression that we walk about. How often we paint wise men like that. Very serious, very proper, very very stern. Uh, they're, they're, they walk about like they're critical all the time. I think we do them discredit when we forget how emotional they were at this as well. It showed when they saw the star. But here's a couple of things I bring to your attention. Just real simple as I, I thought through this passage again and again and again over the years. Do we ever use our intellect when we seek out God? Do we? Did he not give us minds in order to think, to contemplate? Some people, if I said the word theology, they say, I'm tuning out for a few minutes. Theology is nothing more than the study of God. How often do you study him? How often do you open the book and look a little deeper, a little further? You, you start to compare passages. Maybe you even lose what time it is because you've done it. Seek things out. There's a wonderful section of Psalm 119. I love this uh, particular set of verses. In verse uh, 129 and 130 and 131, it says, your testimonies are wonderful. What are testimonies? Why, that's God's word. But you know how much of God's word that represented at the time? Mostly, the law. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Leviticus, that's the book we have the most trouble with in our uh, New Year resolutions. We hit that. You know, when that hits, that's sometime right in the middle of February. And we all of a sudden like Leviticus. When's the last time you read it and said, Lord, your testimonies are wonderful when you're reading Leviticus? That's what the author is saying. He says, your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore, my soul observes them. My soul Here's one who has read God's Word, who's responded to it by using such terms like wonderful, and has put his soul in the action of doing them. That's just not the robot response, is it? His soul is responding to what he has read. And then the next verse, 130, it says this, The unfolding of your words give light. I just love that phrase. 
the unfolding of the word, to open it up, to, to peel it back, to layer by layer unload what's in this word. The depth of it is incredible. Don't ever think that you're in danger of knowing everything in this book. Unfold it. Unfold it. Unfold it. The unfolding of your word gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. So how do you respond? Verse 131 says, So I opened my mouth wide and I panted. For I longed for your commandments. I longed for them. Don't be afraid to use your mind. Of course it's going to involve your soul. It is going to bring a response, I pray, I hope, that you hear God's word. As you think in your mind, then your heart also starts to pant for more. Some come to church for sample scriptures. Just a piece of this or a piece of that. Uh, I'd like to send you home each week with something to contemplate. (laughs) I'd like to send you home with something you could take and, and think about all the more. I hope that you find many opportunities to muse upon God's Word. To just just delight in the law of the Lord, as Psalm 1 says. You know, it was the blessed man, wasn't it? Who delighted in the law of the Lord, how often? Day and night. Day and night. You see, the Lord has given us minds to dwell upon Him. And the mind is blessed when it dwells upon Him. It's strengthened. It's encouraged. It's it's given more and more information. And the more you learn, the more you like. Quite the opposite of studying people sometimes. The more you learn, the more you say, I wish I hadn't known that. You never, never say that about your Lord. He gives us a mind to think. And I like to think that the chiefest of all mental activities is to apply the brain to the Bible. These men were thinkers that we're studying here. Thinkers. Not because of a title, wise men. But they were wise in that they heard what God had said and they followed it. That's wisdom. That's the wisdom. They also were emotional. And I bring this to our thinking for a little bit this morning too. Because emotions can be abused very easily, can't they? We know that. We don't let emotions lead us. Emotions are designed to respond, not to lead. Emotions lead people into to situations that can be dangerous. You know, emotions can get us up. And emotions can get us down. They're hard to predict and sometimes very hard to depend upon. But emotions are made by God. He's created us to be emotional beings. God is an emotional being. And he did make us according to his own image. We have emotions. Now we can abuse them and we can misuse them. 
but how much better to direct them toward our God. When I study a course we call hermeneutics, teach it in uh, the Bible Institute, I have one little chapter in there that I teach called Human Drama. That's not how to act out a Bible story. Uh, It has to do with the human side of understanding God's Word. Many times we can look at it like it's a dry, dusty collection of words, like reading the phone book. And you say, well, that's, that's not too uh, exciting to do. But when you read the book of Psalms, do you not see personality? Do you not see human emotion? So many of the Psalms, uh, I long for you, Lord, I pant for you. I cry and my bed starts to float. As the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for thee. Is there not emotion just loaded in verses like that? We say, well, that's a that's a highly emotional, emotional book, the book of Psalms. Let's talk about Romans for a minute. Romans, it's more like a textbook, isn't it? It's more like a theological uh, dissertation, one that sounds so exciting to read, huh? We say, well, there's no, you can't put emotion in that. And I'll challenge you to try to go through that book without finding emotion. Almost every chapter, there's emotion in that book, as Paul wrote it. Especially in what they might consider the hardest section in all of Scripture to understand. Romans 9, 10, and 11. People sit there and scratch their head and say, what is that for? Why is that there? I don't understand it at all. Why is he talking about Israel being grafted in and grafted out? And there's all these things. And and they come to this conclusion. We have no idea what that means. But the last words Paul says about it is, Oh, the depth of the wisdom of God. He just burst out into a great emotional doxology. And when he's through with it all, he says, glory to him. Glory to him. I think that's amazing. Because you don't expect it. As you're reading through it, you're thinking, well, this is getting drier by the minute. And all of a sudden, all the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable is his judgment and unfathomable his ways. He just reflected exactly what we were thinking as we read it. We don't get it. He says, that's it. (laughs) We don't get it. Because it's God's way. And it's greater than ours. For who knows the mind of the Lord? Who has become his counselor? Who gave to him first? So that he had to pay us back. For from him, and through him, and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. That's how he responds to it all. Now, can we not go through any passage of Scripture and come to such a conclusion? To Him be the glory forever. To Him be the glory forever. Get used to that phrase. You're going to need it throughout eternity. To Him be the glory forever. These men that we read of here, it says in verse number 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced. What's that? High five one another? Who do you think that joy was aimed toward? They rejoiced with ex- 
exceeding joy. They knew who was leading them. They gave him the glory. You see, there's an emotional response to what God has done. Once you see what God has done, how can you help but respond like this? To him be the glory. To him be the glory. Now, those are two things I've been kind of camping on here, but I want to add one more. These men that we are looking at here, these wise men who went on their way to Bethlehem to see Christ, had a plan. They had a goal in mind. They knew what they wanted to do when they came to the end of their journey. You know what it is, right? What was it? They had come to do what? To worship Him. Verse number 2. Where is He who is born King of the Jews? For we saw His star in the east, and, here's their plan, we have come to worship Him. Now, verse number 8 will show you that King Herod knew that that was their plan. Because he says, Go and search carefully for the child, and when you have found him, report to me that I too may come and worship him. He knew what they were going to do. He knew their plan was to worship him. And in verse number 11, was it fulfilled that way? It says, coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell to the ground and (laughs) worshipped him. Worshipped him. Fun little Greek word for worship. It's a compound word. Pros is the first, which is to or toward. And the word is kineo. Kineo is the right way, I think. It means to kiss. It means to kiss. The idea of worship and reverence or bowing down was the idea of coming to kiss. Now, what's interesting is that if you pulled up Strong's Concordance on this, which would be kind of fun to look at, they don't use pros and kuneo. They use pros and kuon. Kuon is the word for dog. You say, well, that's a really weird word all of a sudden. Going to the dog? That's not what they mean. But they mean to kiss like a dog. How does a dog kiss? He licked your hand. Now, you have two options when he's doing that. Either that means he's sampling you for later, or he realizes you're the master. And in humility, it's kind of interesting. He's he's fawning before you. Crouching down, he's literally prostrating himself in homage. We call it adore. We use the word worship. Now, pick the desire of those two definitions you want, but there's a great deal of humility here. A great deal of humility here. These men recognized that this was the king. They rejoiced in the opportunity to seek him. They were reverent in his presence. Worshipped him. 
Now, in that word, I would suggest to you something more than just the mere recognition that this was a king. Because they did not do it to Herod. They did not bow down in Herod's sight. They did not worship Herod. They came in, and they spoke to Herod. But they came in to worship Christ. There's a difference. There's a difference here in the picture. See, their search was not going to be complete until they worshipped. And they had reserved that worship for one only one. And that was their goal. To worship Him. I don't believe our searching of God is over until we're worshiping too. You see, worship is not just the order of a church service. We call it the worship service. That means there's three songs and a couple of guys get up and say good morning. Then we take an offering and we have special music and it's always beautiful. And then the pastor speaks for a while and then we sing and we go home. There's worship, right? That's a schedule. That's a schedule. I found this interesting. I'm going to give you a quote to chew on, all right? I'm still chewing on it myself. And you're going to, I know your first reaction, you're going to say, no way. Okay, I, I know that because that was my first reaction. And then I thought about it for a little while, and then I, I still don't know if I should say less than no way, but or read it to you anyway. Depend on it, my hearer. You will never go to heaven unless you are prepared to worship Jesus Christ as God. Hmm. You say, well, but, but salvation. You're talking about salvation. Uh, salvation, what, what's it based on? Is it anything to do with works or anything like that? People, you know, start to put these pieces together and things like that, and they're trying to figure out, what do you mean? You will never go to heaven unless you are prepared to worship Jesus Christ as God. Let me ask you, who are you going to spend eternity with? Jesus Christ. And what do you think you're going to be doing up there? Worshipping. Do you think you're going to heaven for any other reason than that? You just wanted a peaceful corner someplace. Nice little quiet spots you can say. Heaven is a prepared place. Jesus Christ has made for us to be with Him. It's that is what you seek, is to be with Him, then these words will start to make more sense, I think. We would say, oh, that's right, that's why I'm going. I'm going there to worship Him. I'm going there to worship Him. These men had a goal, to worship Him. So I challenge you this morning with that thought too. Because they were seeking a king. The discovery of that king took effort on their part. It took expense on their part. They journeyed, it said. Assuming they were from the regions of Persia. We don't know exactly. But it was probably at least a 300 mile journey. For us, that's about five hours or so in the car. They didn't have that luxury. You know that. It would have been several days. Perhaps many days. We don't know to travel such a distance. 
add to it the dangers of traveling. In their day, there was a serious issue with robbers along the road. And by the way, they were carrying treasures with them. So I imagine there was a great concern as they would travel about. But they risked a lot. Not only that, they entered into the throne room of a king to announce the birth of another king. Maybe that doesn't sound risky to you, but in most cases, that's very risky. When they heard that the baby was not born in Jerusalem, but some five miles away to Bethlehem, guess what they did? They went. Even knowing that Herod knew where they were going, and all these others knew where they were going, they went anyway. They went the additional five miles to Bethlehem to find Jesus. If worshiping meant traveling 300 miles in order to do it, would you? If it would take you out of the comforts of your home, if it would set you at risk along the road, if it would inconvenience your travel plans where you found that that wasn't the right destination, we've got to go another five miles down the road to get there, would you be inconvenienced in order to worship God? They didn't even have the benefits that we do. They came looking for a king, and they worshipped him. I do not know if they understood him to be the Savior. I do not know that. But I do know that as we sit here today, we know who that king is. And he is our Savior. He is our Savior. You see... They didn't have the benefits of all that you know, theologically. They haven't had all the spiritual blessings in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus, like you have, and I have. But they rejoiced and they worshipped. And sometimes I wonder, then what are we lacking? If they should come with such little and at such great convenience to rejoice and worship, we who travel very little in order to rejoice and worship in all that we have in Christ Jesus. They did this once, and we get to do it so often. You see, we've been set free from the domain of darkness. We've been transferred to the kingdom of the beloved Son. Should we not rejoice and worship? We've been forgiven. We've been cleansed. We've been set free from unrighteousness. We've been made a new creature in Christ Jesus. We've been given a relationship with God. We've been conformed to the image of His Son. Shouldn't we rejoice and worship? Think of the efforts that go into worship. Ours is not the same as the wise men. But our reason to worship, I would suggest, is far greater than theirs. For we know what Scripture has said. They looked for a king. You know that king. You know him as your Savior. You know him as your God. 
If they could jump for joy at the mere sight of a star, what should be our response? That we have God's Word right here in our hands. The fact is this. Herod did not get off his throne and walk five miles or ride a horse or take a chariot. He did not even go five miles to see this new king. The chief priest, responsible for the spiritual well-being of the people of Israel. I believe held accountable for that, because God gave them that position. They did not care to travel five miles to see the one that the scripture talked about over and over and over and over again. And they knew it. Because they told him exactly where the baby was to be born. And they did not go. The scribes, the caretakers of the scriptures, they would have known it inside and out, just as simple as this. When asked, where is it recorded? They jumped out of the book of Micah. How many of you would have thought Micah first? They knew where to go, because they knew the word, inside and out. And they never took one step toward Bethlehem to see this one. Does that astound you? Isn't that amazing? They were that close, folks. They were that close. They never went. I suggest that many times when it comes to seeking the Lord and worshiping like we should, we might be that close at times too. Figuratively speaking, five miles away. We have the same information right in front of us of who he is and even what he's done for us. And we stay five miles away. It's a scene we're reenacted today. Would you follow King Herod? Would you follow the chief priest? Would you follow the scribes? They went nowhere. If the wise men walked into this room this morning and said that they were seeking this one and told he was at Bethlehem and they left the door to go, would you get up and follow them? To see that one that the Lord has made known to us. I love what Psalm 107 says. Just a simple phrase. It says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. We can rejoice. And we can worship. For we know this one. Don't we? We know this one. Heavenly Father, you know every single heart in this room. And You know exactly where we stand on a simple question. Are we seeking you? Are we seeking you? Have we engaged our minds, Lord, to think on you? Have we engaged our hearts to respond to you? Our souls to crave you? Our efforts to serve you? our very knees to fall upon, our faces to fall down upon in front of you, 
to adore and to worship? Do we seek you, Lord? May these words just resonate in our heart this morning. As we've had example again set before us of one, two, or three, we don't know how many of these individuals there were, but they sought out this child to worship him. May we not be found lacking in our desire for you. May we not come short in worshiping you. Challenge our hearts with this very text that we might come to Bethlehem and see see what God has done Lord work in our hearts this time we need it desperately work in our hearts we pray in Jesus name Amen